people who say, well, if he's elected, it's not that dangerous because we have all of these checks and balances, don't fully understand the extent to which the Republicans in Congress today um, have been co-opted. One of the things that we see happening today is a sort of a, a sleepwalking into a dictatorship in the United States. Dictatorship in the United States. That is a strong warning. To many, that word, that concept, that idea evokes something that is viewed as external to the U.S., of leaders somewhere else or in some other time, some other era. That habit of thinking is wrong. It's why there are entire books about how it can, quote, happen here to push Americans to understand the threat and the way both democracies and dictatorships operate. It's why historians are now comparing what Donald Trump is saying in public on the campaign trail to dictators like Mussolini when he dehumanizes our fellow citizens in this country as, quote, vermin who must be rooted out. And Cheney, who staked her career on this, is saying this threat is now here. And she is carefully and precisely warning how she views Donald Trump as a would-be dictator like Mussolini or Mao, that if he does win next year, based on everything she's learned, and remember the high level of the Republican Party that she reached, she is now certain, based on the evidence, he would try to then stay in power forever. Here comes the story of the hurricane The man the authorities came to blame For something that he never done Put him in a prison cell but <laughs> I love that culture. Come on! Come at me! Are you not entertained? <laughs> Baby, we are in the arena and we are entertained. And tonight, it is Thursday, December 7th, 2023. The creation of a dictator. Why are they suddenly changing their tune on Donald Trump? You'll notice it's no longer he's a Russian. And there's a reason for that. The subtext of the plot. Are they planning an assassination? We'll be joined by two experts in the subject matter, Mike Bentz and John Daniel Davidson. My name is Benny Johnson, and welcome to In the Arena, where we throw the punches, baby. And the punches have been thrown at the Republican Party for a very long time. Now, here's something that you need to uh, understand. There's a maxim. The maxim is when all of the evil people are talking from the same talking points, when all of the corporate press and all of the people who are in the complete control and concert of the intelligence agencies are speaking the same lines, when they're saying the same things, you gotta get very nervous about that. You gotta stop for a second and say, wait, why? What are they doing exactly? Why are they saying that? And what does this tell me about what's truly going on? And I want to go back into the annals of ancient history, way back to 2008, when a man named John McCain was running for president. John McCain was a Republican. He certainly wasn't the choice of the corporate press, nor was he the choice of the intelligence agencies with whom he so groveled and wishingly wanted to serve. And so John McCain was slandered as a Russian asset. This is an article from way back when, 15 plus years ago, John McCain, his Kremlin ties, John McCain's Kremlin ties. You'll remember that uh, during the debates, Mitt Romney correctly actually talked about some of our geopolitical threats being some of the communist powers around the world and that we gotta be careful about communist China and a rising communist China, and them linking up with Russia. The first time on this show you would ever hear me say this, but Mitt Romney's right, man. Mitt Romney nailed it. And now what do you have? You have a China united with Russia, and it's a real threat to America now. How was Mitt Romney treated when he said that? Governor Romney, I'm glad that you recognize that Al-Qaeda is a threat. Because a few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not Al-Qaeda, you said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because 
you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. But, Governor, you know, when it comes to our foreign policy, you seem to want to import the foreign policies of the 1980s, just like the social policies of the 1950s and the economic policies of the 1920s. Do you get that? You see, John McCain's the Russian agent. Oh, wait, no, Mitt Romney's the Russian agent. Mitt Romney, you're stuck in the Cold War. You're fighting the Russians. You're too focused on the Russians. Oh, wait, no, Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump's the Russian agent. It, they just move the players down the board. And it's the same thing. And so when they're all talking from the same talking points, when it's the same trap laid over and over and over again, you got to start getting very, very suspicious. Now, it didn't work. So Donald Trump, they were able to kneecap effectively part of his first term, but really it didn't work. And they're not going to be able to pull the whole like Russian agent card again. It won't, it, 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 people are inoculated. They're not going to be able to like get headlines from that any longer. And so it's the same, the same smear that they used for the last two decades. And well, it's old, it's worn and it's tired. So they have to come up with something new for Donald Trump. What's next? Well, to understand what they're going to do next, one, you have to simply absorb what's happening right now inside of the media landscape, and two, understand a little bit about our intelligence agencies. Our intelligence agencies, especially the CIA, love meddling in elections. And the precursor to meddling in elections is that this election is so important, it's a threat to democracy, that it might be the last election in this country if we don't win. This happened in post-war Italy, after the Axis powers lost World War II, the CIA decided they must meddle in an Italian election when there was a uh, candidate that was allied with the allied powers, and then there was a candidate that was very much allied with communism. As communism was rolling through Eastern Europe, this was very much a threat. And so the CIA meddled in that election and then continued to meddle in elections all throughout South America, all throughout uh, Indochina, Pacific theaters, and so on and so on and so on. And probably a lot of stuff that we don't even know. The CIA even goes on TV and admits that they meddle in elections, always under the subtext of this will be the last election. This is the end of democracy. If this person wins, the end of democracy. It's very, very important to understand the setup here. Watch CIA chief James Woolsley go on Fox News and get asked point blank, do you meddle in elections? Under the subtext of saving democracy? Ooh, baby, this answer is choice. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably, but uh, it was for the good of the system in order to avoid the communists from taking yeah. over. For example, in Europe, uh, uh, in 47, 48, 49, uh, the Greeks and the Italians, we... We don't do CIA, that now, though. We don't mess around other people's well, elections, yeah? <laughs> only for a very good Can cause. Can you do that? Do a Vine video on a former CIA director. Only for a very good cause in okay. the interests of democracy. All right, thanks for being here. It's good always great to see you. <laughs> Okay, can you do a vine of that? How old is that clip? Still, I love the answer. Do you meddle in elections today? Man, these Intel guys are so creepy. And they're not creative. They're not original. They're not good at original content, okay? And I do wish Vine was still around. It's an argument for another time. But Elon Musk should bring back Vine on X. The important part about this exchange is that the CIA only really uses one excuse to meddle in elections, which is that a dictator could take power and this could be the last election ever. And so you got to be really nervous when you start seeing, let's say, the same card that was used against McCain and Romney. Remember, John McCain, Russian agent, Mitt Romney, Russian agent, Donald Trump, Russian agent. It's almost like anyone who became the Republican nominee was going to get that smear against them. You got to start being really nervous when you start seeing the same patterns happen all over again. And that's what we're seeing now. It's wild. Check this out from the Washington Post. This is from this weekend. The Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We must stop pretending. Something that's very unique is happening right now, which is the 
operation to start to create predictive programming inside of your brainstem, right? About what they're about to do in meddling in election again. It's so on message. It's remarkable when you actually look through the headlines and what's being said on TV right now, how tightly the message has been tuned. And they were all over the place, sort of with Russia collusion. I mean, it's kind of like a big hairball mess. Right now, they are like laser focused. Here it goes. Donald Trump's a dictator, and this will be the last election ever. I can show you. Here's the Atlantic, the entire Atlantic issue for this month, which is, of course, a magazine written and owned by billionaires, written by rich people for rich people. The entire Atlantic is a cortisol-filled feline meltdown apoplectic meltdown of what will happen when Donald Trump becomes president again. And you you guessed it. It's going to be Donald Trump's a dictator. Donald Trump will end democracy as we know it. This will be the last election ever. Every single article comes to that same conclusion. This is how you know they're on message. And of course, the man who never saw a coup he didn't like, Mr. Bill Crystal, is right on that songbook. Have a listen. These things can happen incrementally, and you know it's a mistake to th think that necessarily there will be the military storming the White House and replacing civilian rule. And that's in a way what's so dangerous here, because Trump is a very effective demagogue who will use some of the uh, forms of democracy and go along with some of the institutions. There'll be some lawyer there at the Justice Department who will say, like John Eastman did during the coup, this is all fine. It's not going to look like a coup necessarily at first if, if we have a dramatic view of a coup but it can be just as dangerous. Hmm. He's gonna march the military into the White House and take over civilian control. That's right. Meanwhile, by the way, don't you make memes against Joe Biden, otherwise we'll lock you up in prison. If you make an anti-Hillary Clinton meme, we'll put you in jail. Bill Crystal, everyone. This could be potentially, again, the first coup he, Bill Crystal didn't completely get aroused over, but we continue. Here's Jonathan Capehart of Washington Post. You remember Washington Post published, the Trump dictatorship is inevitable. Check it out. That's former Congresswoman Liz Cheney continuing to sound the alarm on the threat to democracy posed by Donald Trump. And she's not the only one. In a gripping opinion essay in the Washington Post, columnist and neoconservative scholar Robert Kagan warns that a Trump, a Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable if the twice impeached, four times indicted on 91 counts former president, wins the job back in 2024. President Biden has been issuing similar warnings for months about the man he beat in 2020, but... <laughs> president Biden has been issuing many warnings for months as he locks up his political opponents that there might be a dictator if you don't vote for me. <laughs> It's so good. Oh, man. The talking points get given out to the dumbest possible people. Check out Representative Murphy. We are seeing signs all over the place how important this next election is. And I know everybody always says this is the most important election. Every um, four years. Every four years. <laughs> but I honestly Does it get think, more important every four years? Is that why? <laughs> well, when we're looking at the possibility of walking ourselves into electing a dictator or somebody who intends to use authoritarian um, means to govern... Uh, Okay, so let's see. We have columnists. Uh, we have little, short, chubby, elvish neocon apparatchiks. We have representatives. How about governors? Any governors on Songbook with the dictator lines? Anyone? But I believe absolutely in what Liz Cheney is saying, that a Trump presidency, another Trump presidency, and we lose our democracy. Mm -hmm. We're very, very close to it. Because 2020, the election's held on by a thread, by a few people who absolutely refused the pressure to overturn and do what they knew was wrong. Okay, great. All right, that's Governor Whitman. So members of Congress, Dick Cheney's daughter, uh, hysterical, fussy, feminine, feline, Feminine energy columnists. How about Republican candidates for president? Are they on message with the dictator lines? Oh, yes. Yes, they are. This is from last night. Chris Christie. Does this sound familiar? 
asked last night in Iowa whether he would be a dictator if he wins a second term in office. Donald Trump quipped no, quote, except for day one, promising to seal the southern border. He has also pledged to begin the largest deportation operation in American history, saying that migrants are, quote, poisoning the blood of our country. He has pledged to round up and expel an estimated 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States. What do you make of that plan? I think it's completely predictable. I mean, look, he's made it very clear. There's no mystery to what he wants to do. He started off his campaign by saying, I am your retribution. So do I think he was kidding when he said he was a dictator? All you have to do is look at the history. And that's why failing to speak out against him, making excuses for him, pretending that somehow he's a victim, empowers him. You want to know why those poll numbers are where they are? Because folks like these three guys on the stage make it seem like his conduct is acceptable. Let me make it clear. His conduct is unacceptable. He's unfit. And be careful of what you're going to get. If you ever got another Donald Trump term, he's letting you know, I am your retribution. Thank he will you. only be, Elizabeth, he will only be his own retribution. He doesn't care for the American people. It's Donald Trump first. Donald Trump's a dictator. Donald Trump is a, is a dictator. Man, why do they make these stages? So many stairs on these stages. Yeah, it's the same thing. They're talking, anyone within the capture of the intel agencies are, again, they're all saying the same thing. Why are they changing it up? I mean, they had to change it up. You couldn't do Russia collusion again. They already tried that one. It's tried really hard, too. I mean, man, they just brought that one to its final conclusion. Impeachment? Special investigation? $50 million? Robert Mueller? The whole thing was a hoax. And this whole thing is a hoax, again. It's becoming really cringy and comical. And we, we could go through these clips uh, for the whole rest of the show. We could do clip after clip after clip after clips the whole rest of the show. It's so embarrassing. It's so degrading. And we don't want to see Dick Cheney's daughter really ever again right um but this one we just can't help but, but put up there this is the this is the best one you you want to see what real low iq talking points funneled directly from your cia handler looks like Whew. here is your hellish future ladies and gentlemen and we're talking about someone who wanted to throw military parades and is like the number one fan of Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, and Rodrigo Duterte. So if you're a voter and you want to go the opposite direction of a dictatorship, I'm not sure that Trump is your guy. <laughs> he, did, he threw a military parade. <laughs> Donald Trump threw a military parade. It's so bad. <laughs> so what, what do you got, man? What do you got? You, you got a like group of people who, who through like the raging Xanax and cortisol uh, have decided that the next talking point is going, the talking point is going to be Donald Trump's a dictator because you need predictive programming in order to set up something terrible happening to Donald Trump. What will that look like? Will it look like an assassination? Will it look like a metaphorical assassination? Maybe a physical assassination? I mean, Hey, McFly, I wouldn't wouldn't be unprecedented in American history to have three-letter agencies involved in presidential assassination. So what's it going to look like? Well, people have been asking, actually. Uh, again, a reminder, this is always the predictive programming. This always happens first. The CIA decides that somebody is a threat to democracy. They decide that somebody is gonna create a dictatorship or the last election ever. And then that gives them the precursor to meddle in the elections. And then they laugh about it on Fox News. <laughs> Ooh, baby. That's exactly what's setting, uh, setting up here. They're not original. The playbook isn't original. And Donald Trump is responding to it with crystal clear, sort of like right on cue perfection. It's just like, like ringing a bell, man. Here's Donald Trump earlier in the week. Being like, yeah, I'll totally be a dictator. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Watch. Issue though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you yeah. under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Yeah. 
Except Look, for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be. I'm going to be. You know, he keeps. I love this guy. He says, You're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, No, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border. And we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay. that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies <laughs> when you were president. That's All right. exactly. <laughs> so what makes these individuals the angriest? When you laugh in their faces, when you laugh at their plans, when you ridicule them, like when, when you make them a laughing stock, the, the, they'll never forget. They'll, get, they'll never forget. And the reason why the brains are broken so heavily around the Beltway in Washington, D.C. is because they all told you that based on their intelligence and based on how smart they were, Donald Trump would never become president in 2016. The article on the front page of The Washington Post on the morning of the election, on November 5th, 2016, was Donald Trump has a 0% chance of becoming president. He made fools, that was retweeted by Jake Tapper. He made fools of those people and they'll never forgive him. And so the predictive programming must carry on. They have to set something up. This man can't humiliate them again. You can't laugh at us like that. Yeah, I'll be a dictator on day one. I'm gonna close the border, drill baby, drill. You can't do, you're not allowed to make a joke of this, right? This is, we're serious people. We demand to be taken seriously, says Jamie Raskin and Jen Psaki, who I'm not sure, I'm not sure who has the more embarrassing haircut here, watch. Everything flows from the will of a charismatic politician, and that is Donald Trump uh, in their book. So we're, we're clearly headed into a completely different form of government than any of us would recognize as continuous with the past. Right-wing authoritarian government in league with Putin, Xi, Orban, Bolsonaro, Putin, you name it. Xi, and Orban, and those are some serious authoritarian dictators out there. But they're people. It sounds like you're saying people should look at if they're wondering what a second Trump term would look like. Those are the people that Donald Trump and his family do business with. Yeah. <laughs> you only laugh because if you know, you know. Marina Baturina. Putin's hand-selected wife of Moscow mayor deposited $3.5 million in Joe Biden's bank accounts. <laughs> Donald Trump does business with Vladimir Putin, <laughs> says the guy who ran uh, the Donald Trump impeachment with the rug on his head. So uh, what's the predictive programming say? Well, assassination, okay? Now we move on to the assassination stage. Here we go from Business Insider. Here's what happens if Donald Trump dies while running for office in 2024. Yikes. Again, a little bit on the nose there. Call him a dictator and then get people ready for the assassination. Washington Post, fear of a looming Donald Trump dictatorship. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. Molly Hemingway, our friends, uh, our dear friend at the Federalist says, this is assassination prep. They're simply readying the assassination. Same thing with Matt Gates. Matt Gates saying this is a green light for a Donald Trump assassination. Check it out. Uh, they can't defend Biden anymore. And so all they're saying is Donald Trump, Nazi, 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 fascism, dictatorship. It looks like that is their, their campaign platform for 2024. I think it's even worse. I think that they are greenlighting assassination. Yeah. You know, when you hear people talk about Trump as Hitler or as some sort of, of, of authoritarian tyrant, they're trying to justify violence against him and violence against his supporters. And it is sickening and un-American. I condemn it in the strongest possible terms. So again, let's line them up. You have a member of Congress there saying that they're greenlighting the assassination. They're saying they're ready for it. Alex Jones was on the PBD podcast and said they will assassinate Donald Trump. Good God, man, watch. Are they gonna succeed to prevent him from running? I mean, they're succeeding in a civil war in, right now in Russia. I mean, yeah, the globalist hijacked the most powerful country in the world with all our ingenuity and all our money and all our power, and the world's in deep trouble. Um, and, and again, it's not like I'm saying China or Russia are good either. It's just it's, it's just a monstrous situation. And if people don't get serious and get out of their comfort zones, uh, yeah, I think they'll. I mean, I think they're going to demonize him and die him and die him and die him and die him. 
And then I, I think they'll blow his airplane up. I, I really, at a gut level, believe they're going to kill Trump. Who's this? Trump? Uh, I, mean, I mean, I believe the deep state establishment will murder him. I mean, I believe he's going to steadfast go through all this. You know, he'll be... He'll be 30 points ahead in the primaries. Nothing's going to stop him. And then they just, uh, you know, he dies of a heart attack because they poison him or they blow his airplane up. And I think, and, and Trump, by the way, has talked to Roger and others and said, I'm ready to die. I'm committed. I'm going all the way. So what next? The, the Alex Jones was right jar is overflowing on our desk. Are, are you just going to, are you going to, are you going to listen to it? Are you, I mean, you get. You gonna you gonna hear it? He says that Trump's not scared, and that Trump's ready to die. What does Trump have to say about it when asked directly about his potential assassination by Tucker Carlson? Uh, Donald Trump had quite the reaction. Watch. There it started with protests against you, massive protests, right. organized protests by the left, and then it moved to impeachment twice, right? And now indictment. I mean, the next stage is. Is violence? Is, are you worried that they're going to try and kill you? Why wouldn't they try and kill you, honestly? Uh, they're savage animals. They are people that are sick, really sick. You have great people in the Democrat Party. You have great people that are Democrats. Most yeah. of the people in our country are fantastic, and I'm representing everybody. I'm not just Republicans or conservatives. Right. I represent everybody. I'm the president of everybody. But I've seen what they do. I've seen the lengths that they go to. So is it assassination time? Are we speeding towards an assassination? Line it all up here. Line it all up. Step one, you just use the same slur the whole time, right? You always use a slur. John McCain was the Russian asset. Mitt Romney's Russian asset. Donald Trump, Russian asset. Donald Trump actually wins, unlike the other guys. Oh, God, now we got to follow through on this. Okay, what do we got? Didn't work. Got to come up with a new play. Got to come up with a new play. Trust me, if it wasn't Donald Trump, it'd be the next next guy around, Marco Rubio is a Russian asset. Next, he's a dictator. So now he's the dictator. What's your evidence of that? Shut up. He's a dictator. It'll be the last election ever. But didn't Donald Trump want National Guard troops at the Capitol during January 6th? Shut up. You're not allowed to know that. You're not allowed to ask those questions. So he's a dictator and we got to get rid of him. No matter what we do, it's going to be virtuous because we're ridding you of the dictator. And then all the people around Trump, close to Trump, and supportive of Trump, like Tucker Carlson, are straight up saying, we're speeding towards assassination. They're giving the green light for assassination because it's all happening at the same time. And the CIA, as a pretext, before meddling in any election, uh, says this will be the last election ever. These are dictators, right? We gotta, we gotta take them out. And so, yikes, yikes. When they all, when all of the evil people say the exact same thing, when they're all on message, because these people have no creative thoughts and they have no capacity to think for themselves, uh, that's when you have to be worried. Ladies and gentlemen, somebody who uh, certainly doesn't worry us, but certainly does expand our thoughts, expand our mind and expand the way that we think uh, is the great Mike Bentz. Mike Bentz is the executive director of the Foundation for Freedom Online. He is, uh, has some of the most compelling and thought-provoking and fascinating videos. He's a deep well of knowledge and it's an honor. Welcome him to the show. Mike, uh, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks, Benny. It's great to connect. So there is a great big wide world on X and a lot of people post a lot of videos. But every time I see Mike Bentz walking down one of the streets uh, somewhere or in a desert or in the forest somewhere, I say, I got to stop and I got to listen to all, all of this. And every time you speak truth that I didn't, I didn't really know about, like deep wells of understanding and knowledge about how these systems operate and how they've operated in the past. And you, you had a clip about what's going on with this whole assassination prep that really blew my mind. And you talked through how our intelligence agencies do this a playbook. It's not a new idea. It's actually an old idea. Um, can you expound on this? Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier about how the FBI set up Russiagate and things like this and the previous attempts to kind of go at Trump. And you, know, you have to look at what they're saying as the predicate for what it allows them to do. You know, if you remember in the beginning, they tried to go after Trump for things like emoluments. You know, there was this idea that 
he 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 operated this international sort of resort and hotel enterprise yeah. and so technically payments by foreign dignitaries as they were paying their you know their uh, their hotel room bill was some sort of potential uh, uh, you know, violation of federal law about in, in emolument income or something. But uh, that doesn't give them a predicate to wiretap his phone and to send swarms of undercover agents to infiltrate every aspect of his campaign. If you accuse him of, uh, if you if you invoke a counterintelligence predicate and say, well, this might endanger national security because we think he might be a Russian asset, that does. So, so what you accuse the person of is the legal predicate for what it allows you to do, and and mm-hmm. also the network predicate. And the thing that's very strange about this new, sudden, totally unified dictator language is we have a very specific toolkit for taking down dictators, and it involves something that we saw very to a very frighteningly coordinated degree from the summer of 2020, stretching through the 2020 election. Uh, and, and this is a technique that combines essentially saturating media support for a kind of anarcho-tyranny street muscle, um, destabilizing the country, not allowing normal executive governan- uh, uh, governance to actually take place, and to try to do a sort of ground-up, um, people-powered revolution uh, in the name of democracy to topple the dictator. Uh, and I was just in DC earlier today. I'm, I'm, I'm here right now. Uh, I walked by the White House and a very a strange thing. Um, it always it always gets me when I, when I walk around the White House now after what happened with 2020, because you notice, and I worked in the White House, but you notice that actually right there adjacent to 1600, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. It's 16th and K Street. The, the street next to it is named Black Lives Matter Plaza. And on Black Lives Matter Plaza are some are multiple of the largest unions in the entire uh, galactic universe, including the AFL-CIO, which used to be known in the 1960s and 70s as the AFL-CIA, because it was the union muscle branch that would be used by our intelligence services when we needed to deploy street muscle to topple a dictator. That is, uh, the AFL-CIO worked in Poland to have Lech Walesa's trade union movement uh, take to the streets, shut down the country, and topple topple the government. Same thing in France and in Italy and in Latin America. Uh, as you, I, I tried to imagine Trump in office in 2024 as I as I walked to, to the White House, and you, on the street next to it, you have basically the HQ of where tens of thousands of people were were rioting uh, in, in the summer of 2020, and you have the largest unions used by the intelligence services to destabilize. You uh, you can't even imagine a, a Trump White House staffer even getting to the office, let alone having a normal uh, exec exec uh, executive governance uh, term. If prosecutors don't rein that in, and we all know where the prosecutors fall on this. So what I see is a threat even more mm, existential than the assassination one, because that really, I think at this point, I certainly agree with your analysis. Um, The martyrdom will be fully complete at that point and they last centuries in the event of something like that. But, But one of the things that I think we should all keep in mind is it's been over three years now since their little assets have been rolled out of the box. They have been cold. They have been on ice. Every time they've tried to pipe up, wow, suddenly they've got an FBI indictment. Suddenly, um, you know, the, the BLM you know, founders with, uh, with nothing to do and, and having little or no use to, uh, to their handlers were, were rolled up in indictments or charged with various forms of tax fraud or, uh, or various things. These guys need a good stretch before they're, you know, you know, before they're, they're back in action. They haven't had any big right-wing rallies to bust up lately. They haven't had, you know, the existential threat. They haven't had the federal assets pumping them up. They've not had the impetus. They need to be revved up again if they're going to be deployed. And this this new framing of of dictatorship is, to me, the sort of shot out of uh, to start the race to to uh, to get them back out of their box. 
you're saying so so in your video you talked about how this was the plan certainly will be the plan 2024 but this was the plan in 2020 if donald trump won walking away 320 electoral votes and he's headed for inauguration number two and he never leaves the white house because he's duly elected that they had a game theory set up in order to create so much street havoc that he just couldn't rule is that correct Oh, we know that 100%. Scroll down on the thread you have you have pulled up on the screen right now. Scroll down to where it says Transition Integrity Project. It'll be about five tweets down, and uh, you will see. We can pull up the exact quote. This is a this is in June 2020. There was a group called the Transition Integrity Project, which is not some small thing. This is these are the documents, but go down about about one or two more, and and you'll you'll see exactly what I'm about to talk about with Black Lives Matter being a, a, this is the one. Okay, now let me just tee this up for a second. In June, 2020, this is after months of calls to arrange some sort of counter dictatorship, Eastern European color revolution style mechanism for taking Trump out of office if he decided to cling to power. This was their predicate for setting up this network. What if he doesn't transition? Uh, then we need some mechanism to forcibly transition him, hence transition integrity project to do to do this essentially well integrity is sort of their branding word that's a whole other thing but uh but this group transition integrity project wasn't you know a bunch of pink-haired you know ambigendered uh you know feminists studying you know marxist the theology or whatever at nyu uh these included donna brazil the, the brazil the former head of the dnc michael Steele, the former head of the rnc so the two most recent heads of both major political parties uh, a coterie of apex predators from the national security state, from the from the NSA, from the from the from the DOD, from military intelligence, from the FBI, and they ran a simulation with 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 four different scenarios, and with with none other than John Podesta role playing personally during these summer simulations, the role of Joe Biden. They had some. They had uh, a Republican role playing the role of, of Donald Trump. And John Podesta role-playing the role of, of Joe Biden. Again, for those who don't know, John Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager in the 2016 election, uh, a dark arts operative like there, like there never really was in Washington, D.C., um, kind of a, a goat hall of famer when it comes to uh, political hit jobs and dark arts in D.C. Um, he now runs the largest slush fund in the federal government, overseeing $376 billion dollars in uh, in climate handouts, but he role played this simulation where it was four it was four four scenarios, and two of them sort of sound like they might be okay. It was well, what if Biden wins in a in a clear victory and Trump doesn't give up power? The next one was uh, you know sort of it's a it's a close win and there's some questions that linger. But scenario three was very curious. It was called it was titled Clear Trump Win. And you'll see that if you scroll up, you know if if you if you want to. And and the thing was is how do we how do we make sure Biden is sworn in as the president on January twentieth, twenty twenty one, even if Trump wins the electoral college? You'll see that right there on the screen. It says clear Trump win. Again, these are the heads of both major political parties as well. And the head of this thing, the Transition Integrity Project, was Rosa Brooks, who formerly had a blue badge at the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, was also a high ranking um, Pentagon official and now teaches courses on democratization at Georgetown, which is code for she teaches courses on how to overthrow governments. This is who was running this. Now, if you now if you scroll down again, just to read this language, because this is really the kicker here, along with another thing. So they role played, a part of this role play was getting the, the Western states to secede, California, Oregon, and Washington, unless Trump gave up power, um, to get uh, to get S Republicans- Secede from the union? I'm sorry, I have to secede from yes. the union. Yes, yes, they're going to create a new- <laughs> A new sort of Western state alliance called the Cascadia. It was they're going to give. They're basically going to do what they what they accused secessionists in the South of doing. If Trump didn't leave power, even if he won in a clear electoral college, now they said they were going to use the patina of of the of a um, of a national uh, popular vote. To, they were going to say we're going to redefine democracy to say only the winner of the popular vote. Is actually going to be the win. This is the trick they tried to do, by the way, in 2016 with their with their electors plot that they're now indicting Republicans for for advocating for that they did in 2016. But you'll see here in this scenario, 
they specifically contemplated in the simulation the need to get tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter supporters to take to the streets, to shut down federal government buildings, and to basically make the country completely ungovernable. Uh, and, and they even contemplated what they would need to do between June 2020 and November 2020 to make the Black Lives Matters forces as pliable as possible so that they would do the, Biden's, uh, the Biden campaign's bidding. And they even talked about how this was not robustly enough tested. You know, they, they still may have, you know, so they may not fully do what we say. So we should think between now and election time what we need to do to make sure they are responsive to a call to take to the streets from the Biden campaign in case Trump wins fair and square. That is a clear cut slam dunk color revolution play in full sight. And they bragged about it in the Time magazine article that was published short, shortly after the election. It, it, it came to light that there was actually a deal struck between the AFL-CIO, which I just mentioned is sits at the corner of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, their head, their head office, formerly known as the AFL-CIA, and the Chamber of Commerce for a standout. Because the way these things are, are, are operated is Chamber of Commerce companies essentially pay union muscle to bust up dictatorships that happen to be interfering with the bottom lines of blue chip multinational companies. That's the game here. This is the way the National Endowment for Democracy, our premier CIA cutout, is structured. We have, we have four different branches, the IRI for Republicans to get their cut, the NDI for Republicans to get their cut, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, it's technically called the Center for International Private Enterprise, but it's the Chamber of Commerce branch, uh, which basically provides assistance funding, and then we capture the markets of the countries that we do our ops in, and the, and the Solidarity Center, which is for the union muscle that actually takes to the streets to shut the country down. This is how you get these, you know, basically uh, astroturfed rental riot, destabilization, democracy promotions to take down dictators. And that is what I believe they're setting up right now. What is the likelihood that much of the saber rattling and the pot banging that's happening will result in a assassination, a attempt at an assassination? Uh, for Donald Trump, what is the likelihood that he reaches a threshold that he is so dangerous to them and that his victory may be um, so locked in? If you look at the polls, it used to be, you know, 2020, Donald Trump was no, nowhere near Joe Biden. Now he's beating Joe Biden, all those same polls. I and mean, there's got to be some level of panic going on right now, Mike. Um, will they actually resort to assassination? You know, I think there's a mood right now in the country that the indictments um, turned the polling fates for Trump. You know, just last night, Bill Burr was on the Jimmy Kimmel show and uh, basically, you know, Bill Burr, who just got in trouble for his wife, Nia, flipping double birds to uh, El Presidente in the, in the middle of a UFC introduction. Uh, you would think he would be, you know, number one super fan of of, of Never Trump Inc. But he actually was on primetime just just last night for the late night, uh, castigating Jimmy Kimmel, saying, "You guys screwed this thing up." You know, Trump was on his, uh, you know, he was a he was doing his casino tour, his casino retirement tour, until you guys indicted him, and now he's a martyr. You made a martyr out of him. You know, now that's Bill Burr, who's by no means a, a Trump supporter himself. Um, but, you know, you can bet a, a pretty significant chunk of barbershops in this country are saying the same thing, as well as many groups who uh, were previously not uh, sympathetic, but who also feel similarly persecuted by this Justice Department. It's, it's hard to think of, to consider someone a dictator when they are actually the test baby uh, and the most high profile example of what is what dictators do to other people and, and this is this this is where i get back to sort of the rock and the hard place that they're between right now in 2016 it was a and in 2020 it was a little bit easier for them to do this because trump was in power you can make certain art it was it was easier to inflate rage uh, because um they you know the, you're the revolutionary you know who's allowed who basically has a, a little bit more energy um, than the person who's defending their position to be in the attacker spot rather than the defender. 
Um, you can make the argument that he was, if you wanted to, I don't believe this, obviously, but it, you could say, well, don't you feel oppressed by this man? Can't you sort of sense what a dictator he is by what he's, his language and things like this? But the fact is, is not only is he not in power, he is doing the thing we define dictatorship as when it's done to other people. They give the example of, you know, Russian uh, authoritarianism and the Russian dictatorship. You know, the U.S. Treasury and the U.S. State Department passed international sanctions on the Russian Federation, banning countries from from trans from transacting with Russia because Russia put a man named uh, named uh, Navalny, uh, Alexei Navalny, yeah. um, in in prison when when he was running against Putin. Now at the time, Navalny, by the way, he's a I'm I'm sorry to say this for for folks who are who are stands of the national security state, but Navalny is a CIA asset. Okay, he was he was incubated at the Jackson School at Yale, and and uh, I could read you the Riot Act on uh, on that 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 institution's role as an incubator of emerging leaders uh, for the State Department and the Central Intelligence Agency to deploy uh, when we want to run candidates uh, against uh, somebody who's not doing the State Department's bidding. Now, Paul Navalny was not even a prominent political figure. Uh, he was this hardcore um, uh, right-wing nationalist, more nationalist actually than um, than Putin was. Uh, he actually wanted to balkanize. Uh, There's a whole other story about Navalny, but he was only polling at two percent, two percent when uh, when when he was um, sentenced by the, the the Russian prosecutors. Trump right now is beating Biden in five of the six battleground states. He's actually winning in the general in a New York Times ABC poll. Yeah. So you know, by our own logic, uh, we would be banning the U.S. government from transacting in the U.S. dollar and promoting, you know, there's a quote that, that Kyle Serafin said once that, you know, the, the country that I live in now would have been invaded by the country I lived in 20 years ago. And, and we, are, we are now the Perfect. definition of the dictatorship that um that that we that that has been the predicate for so many uh decades for us to take this kind of action just a quick follow-up mike because this i i i could ask i could dive into your brain and your knowledge on the subject matter for the next three hours just quickly 2020 a color revolution or not in this country yes i mean we just saw we just saw the documents and by the way you know, it's not just that. It's, you know, like like I said, you got the Time Magazine article. How do you have an explicit agreement between the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO to agree to not have election protests? Just think about that for a second. The Chamber of Commerce is the largest business enterprise on the planet, okay? They are the largest business enterprise on the planet. They even call themselves that in their own Twitter bio. And the AFL-CIO, which is the largest source pipeline of street muscle for protests in the entire country. In fact, they're so good at it, they've been used for decades by our own central intelligence agency when we need renter riots to shut down other countries' elections and to shut down other countries' ability to, to uh, have executive governance over their own people. How do you have an agreement in, between these two entities, which just so happen to be two of the four stools of the CIA cutout known as the National Endowment for Democracy, while it was pumping all these institutions full of cash, with a formal agreement not to, to have protests in place if Trump won, but to not have it the moment on, on November 7th that, uh, that Biden was declared by the media to be the president? This was a rent a riot that was uh, that was basically put back in the box by agreement from the same forces that the way that we structure this when we're doing a color revolution in other countries. And they openly advocated for this structure at least five months in advance. They ran entire simulations around it. They had networks between Occupy DC, between Shutdown DC, between the, the between the Sunrise uh, Movement, between BLM, between Antifa and between protection from the Soros prosecutors in every single country, every single major city that this, that this was incubated in. Because remember, this all started 
in the land of, of these Soros prosecutor zones where they would not get in any trouble for it. And how were they capitalized, Benny? Do you remember? They, uh, they got something like $50 billion in collective payouts from who? The blue chip net multinational companies that just so happened to, to comprise the Chamber of Commerce. They got paid. To That's do exactly it. right. Now, the ne nearly a hundred million dollars. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Has it helped out a single black person? Can you find me a single black person other than the leaders of BLM where that money actually assisted? They have a couple mansions. I mean, good for them, and a Canadian mansion too. Very, very important to have a mansion in Canada. Mike, your commentary here is very, very important. Everyone must go follow Mike. You will not. Be disappointed. Some of the most insightful and fascinating, and also some of the territory he's walking through when he gives his explainers. I never know where he is. He's in the middle of a city. He's in the desert. It's awesome. Give him a follow on X. You won't be disappointed. Mike, God bless you. Godspeed. And thank you for your wisdom here. Thank you, Benny. Talk soon. As terrifying as the wisdom is, as terrifying as what Mike has to say, I mean, it's like, like, you want to find out how dark your government is. You don't have to scratch the surface very hard. It's kind of like a lotto ticket. You take the penny and you just start moving it back and forth. And you can find out. And people who've been moving pennies, people who've been scratching a little bit is uh, the Federalist. An outlet that we read on this program all the time. Or an outlet that is a must read every single morning uh, for me. And we are honored to be joined right now by the senior editor at The Federalist, John Daniel Davidson. John, thank you so much for being on the program. God bless you for the flannel shirt, man. It's like flannel season. It's the Christmas season. It also seems to be uh, Trump assassination season, but you're the only outlet. The Federalist is the only outlet that's actually going hard in the paint here and saying, uh, this is a narrative that's being built up and it has a very dangerous conclusion. What's your reporting shown? Yeah, we started calling this kind of this genre of media story about how bad the second Trump term would be assassination prep, uh, because because that that's really what it's for. Um, there's there's obviously anyone who has like read the New York Times or Washington Post uh, or perused MSNBC or CNN over the past week or so really i guess starting over the weekend and then all this week uh there's just been story after story of how bad a trump administration is going to be a fascist dictatorship trump will never leave office you saw liz cheney going on all the sunday shows to flog her book peddling this, <laughs> this line it's like a memo went out to every major media outlet in the country these are the lines that you need to to push warn the Americans about the danger of a Trump dictatorship in his second term. And, uh, you know, the reason we call that assassination prep at the Federalist is because it's a very dangerous kind of rhetoric to engage in if you're a major media outlet and you have mm. these massive platforms. Um, it's sort of like, um, you know, climate hysteria, right? If you really think the world is going to end, wouldn't you do anything to save the world? Uh, yes. If you really think the country is going to descend into a fascist dictatorship next year, uh, isn't everything on the table to stop that from mm -hmm. happening? Uh, you know, uh, and and it never even occurred. These are the same people who like freak out, uh, you know, when, when someone on the right uh, uses strong language about anything. Right. Uh, it doesn't seem to even occur to them that they're being reckless. It either doesn't occur to them or they don't care. Um but there's no other conclusion. I mean, you just go down the line. There was a triple bylines piece in the New York Times on Monday, uh, all about how Trump was going to usher in this era of weaponization of the federal government, as though as though we're not living through that right now, uh, as though Biden hasn't used the attorney general's office and the Department of Justice to go after his political enemies. Um, and then you have the Washington Post did the same thing. The entire issue of the Atlantic for January, February is it, dozens of essays are devoted to painting this sort of terrible, you know, uh, phantasmagorical scenario for Trump's second term. Uh, you know, women will be targeted. Uh, you know, NATO will collapse. There'll be World War Three, family separations, 
uh, you know, back alley abortions. I mean, they just go they're going hard at this idea that Trump's second term is a dystopia uh, and the end of the American Republic. Cats and dogs sleeping together. It's all going to collapse. Yeah, it does. It really does start to ring of a universe that is more threatened about their existence than the existence of the American people. Because generally, Americans, based on all polling, and you can see here in the real clear politics polls, it's like Donald Trump is winning people over. Americans remember what life was like under Trump, and they liked it a lot. And so it doesn't seem to square, right? So you have the inside Washington, D.C. Beltway with Liz Dick Cheney's daughter talking to you about dictatorships, which is always a warning sign. And then you and the American people just doesn't seem to care. And that's going to make them angry, right? Like polling like this is going to start to really infuriate those uh, around Washington, D.C. because Americans aren't listening to them again, right? I mean, is that that's going to lead to a lot of the animosity, the anger. It's going to reach a boiling point. And 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 so you had this sort of like uh, rhetoric spiral, I, I would call it, that the yes. media is in, where they have they they have to get more and more strident. The warnings have to get more and more outrageous and hysterical. The stakes have to get higher and higher uh, in order for them to justify their opposition uh, to the potential of of a Trump second term. Uh, and at the same time, they have to completely gaslight the American people about what's actually happening under Biden and pretend that we have a normal president and we have a normal federal bureaucracy and that the economy is not really that bad. And if you think that prices are high, uh, you know, it's just your perception that you need to really, uh, you know, listen to Paul Krugman. The economy is doing great. And uh, and, and and so it's gaslighting on that side and just just a, a rhetoric spiral on the other side. And, you know, it's interesting, the timing on some of this stuff. Um, I'm actually writing about this right now, and we'll have a piece up uh, later today or tomorrow in The Federalist. Three weeks ago, three weeks ago, the Biden campaign sent out an email directed at the corporate media. And one of the things the Biden campaign said was that the corporate media, including, they they said, quote, our friends at the Gray Lady, that's the New York Times, obviously, (laughs) uh, they need to do a better job of warning the American people about the dangers of a second Trump presidency. That was three weeks ago. Just about enough time for all the writers at the New York Times and the Atlantic and the Washington Post to get their acts together and come up with 3,000 word think pieces on the dangers of a second Trump presidency. The Biden campaign puts out the order and three weeks later, as with one voice, the entire corporate media delivers feature after feature, Article after article, analysis and op-ed after op-ed, parroting the Biden campaign's talking points. If you if you tried to think of a scenario where that, that would be, you know, too ridiculous for people to believe about the corruption of, of the corporate press, you couldn't come up with something better than this. It's the headline of the year here under your byline. Democrats are afraid that Trump will do to them what they have done to him. That's right. Yeah, uh, what, like, at what point do Republicans start fighting? Like, what does it look like for Republicans to actually punch back? Uh, last question here, because I know we're tight on time, but what does it actually look like to, for Republicans to throw a punch here? And 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 do it? Is it righteous to do this to Democrats? Are these the new rules, or will we get the same thing uh, all over again? Which is, oh, it's time for a return to norms. No, the, no, it's. The short answer is no. The, the norms are gone forever. This is a fight for the republic. Uh, if we if we can keep it, I, I I always go back and and again, this is the kind of rhetoric that freaks out the 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 left and the mainstream press. I I always go back to something you know that that Lincoln said, and I'll I'm paraphrasing him during the Civil War. We can we can you know figure out habeas corpus after we won the war. So we're not going to have a country unless we win this thing. Okay, <laughs> so. So we, we can talk about norms once the left has been defeated. But until then, every Republican AG, every Republican majority in, in a state legislature, uh, every Republican office holder in Washington, D.C. needs to use the absolute max amount of power and authority they have to go after Democrats and make them feel some pain. The left, they don't just stop when they've accomplished their goals. They only stop when someone stops them. So we need Republican AGs to indict Hunter and Joe Biden uh, in every state where we have an AG with the wherewithal and the backing to do it. We need impeachments, uh, multiple impeachments by Congress. 
and I'm not, I'm under no illusions that the GOP, the, I, I, I hate the GOP with a burning white hot hatred. Of course, they're not going to do that. They're going to give back pay uh, to all the, you know, top military brass that Tommy Tuberville had been, you know, holding back on, on their promotions. That's what they're going to do. That's they're going to kick George Santos out of Congress. That'll that'll show people they're serious about norms. So I, I have no I have no faith in the institutional GOP to do this. But to answer your question, no, we can't go back to norms. Yeah. I, do, I mean, really quickly here, was not was not prosecuting Hillary Clinton the biggest mistake of Trump's first term? It may prove to be, but but wouldn't I, that have stuck? Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that have wouldn't that have sent us on a different trajectory? I know the past is prologue, but if you had actually followed through and put Hillary Clinton in jail or at least prosecuted her and made her life hell, would that have made people say, my God, we have to watch it. Like, maybe they're serious. And yeah, maybe, maybe we can't just back uh, off. Yeah, maybe we can't just do whatever we want. You know, yes. I mean, uh, uh, there was yes. a series of mistakes early on. I mean, he should have fired James Comey first day, should have fired Andrew McCabe first day. I mean, none of those people. I think Trump, Trump thought he could win those people over and he was wrong about that. Uh, yeah. All of those people uh, should have should have been out of there. They were engaged in, in a criminal conspiracy to undermine the president and the president, you know, even before he took office as president elect. Um from 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 day one. So uh, there was a lot of mistakes that were made. And, and I think uh, one of the things a second Trump term would do, and I'm sure that the, the same people who are warning of a Trump fascist dictatorship now would call it a fascist dictatorship. Um, but he's got a clean house. Uh, it, yes. If he gets in again, he's got to get the right people around him. He's got to get uh, uh, the, the the people who would thwart him which his first administration was full of those people. He's got to get them out right away. Yes. Sounds like a vice president, vice president Tucker Carlson could fix that. <laughs> John Daniel Davidson. God bless you. Like the Federalist is so awesome. We're so, we just love your byline. We love the work that's on there. The best headlines and a must read every single morning. Uh, Godspeed. Merry Christmas. Hey, thank you. You too. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will never leave the arena without giving you some positive news. I need to, is this positive news? Like some of Donald Trump's like biggest haters are now planning on voting for him. What does that mean? What world are we living in? Chris Cuomo, of course, the brother of disgraced uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York, who may be running for the mayor of New York City. My goodness gracious, uh, is straight up saying, "Yo, uh, I think it's time for me to vote for Trump." We could not believe it ourselves when we saw it. So now you have to see it too. If it's Biden, Trump, look, for me, again, um, we survived a Trump administration. Uh, would we survive another one? Yes. Yes. I don't think there's any greater risk to America with him than with Biden. And for people who are now going to attack me and say, what are you talking about? Trump is like this crazy man. Well, look, you know, as Patrick says, the data is the data. Nobody was trying to kill us when Trump was president in a way that they're not now. If anything, there's more hostility. And you can have reasons for that any way you want. I'm just saying existentially, I'm not afraid of a Trump presidency. Um, existentially, I'm not afraid of another Biden presidency because unlike many people in America, I believe that the country is much stronger than any individual leader. Um, we survived the Russia thing. We survived January 6th. We survived having Biden as a gaffe machine. We survived uh, Congress uh, going after each other and doing nothing for the rest of us. We survived these things. Are we better for it? No. Uh, should we be doing things differently? Yes. I think it happens. I don't know when. I don't even know why. But, you know, in terms of who I'm going to vote for, I would really have to see where we are at that moment in time. Uh, and So you're open to a Trump vote. I am always open. <laughs> what? What world do we live in? What timeline is this? What Marvel movie is this? Ant-Man and She-Hulk. Like, what's happening? Chris Cuomo's like, yeah, totally. I'll vote for Trump. Yo, do you remember this guy? This guy would have apoplectic, like, like seizures on CNN every single night with his barbell, with his dumbbell, 
and his shake weight and talking about Trump and orange man bad. It was the orange man bad hour. And now he's like, yeah, I think I'll vote for Trump. How bad is it in New York? I mean, hot damn. So yeah, assassination. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? I, we don't want that to happen. We certainly uh, want everyone in this country uh, to live peacefully and to live happily and to live in the arena where we can all like have a good little American experience. But there are some that are truly evil, that are truly dead set against that. And just a reminder why they hate you. You're the problem. You're the threat. You chose Donald Trump and they told you not to. And they can't have that. They must have dutiful little slaves. You can't think freely. And the precursor, of course, to speaking freely is thinking freely. Can't have those things. Shut down Elon Musk, shut down Donald Trump, shut down free thought, shut down free expression, shut down free speech, and then you get slaves. And that's what they want you to be. So throw off your chains. Thank you so very much for watching this episode of In the Arena, where we do speak freely, where you're not allowed to be a slave, ladies and gentlemen. Slaves can't throw punches. We out here. It's your boy, Benny. See ya.